Hey, this is Caleb Cole, pastor of Project Church in Sacramento. And man, I am so excited for you to hear this word. I believe God is going to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you through it. So get ready to receive from God today. You belong to Jesus this morning. You know, when I arrived here this morning, it was like just a typical day, typical Sunday, kind of like every day this week. But then something happened and we started to worship and it was no longer a typical day. It's like something shifted in the atmosphere. And I trust you experienced that and felt that here this morning as we begin to exalt him and lift him up. He begins to move and do things in our lives and in our midst. Let's just pray and ask the Lord to continue to minister to us this morning and speak to us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we belong to you and because we belong to you, we don't need to fear anything. We, know, we don't need to be anxious about anything. We can trust you to be our source of provision. Whatever we're in need of today, you're here to meet that need. We stand ready to receive from your hand of provision. Continue to minister through this time of worship and through the word today. May you be glorified in this room. We pray in Jesus' name and everybody in the room said, amen. All right, turn around and give somebody a high five and then you may be seated. Well, good morning, Project Church. I'm Papa. So in the rally before first service, we all the volunteers get together, we do a little rally. Someone referred to me as Project Church Papa. <laughs> and I was like, I'll take it. I've earned it, I guess. I am a Papa of four of my own children who are now all between the ages of 34 and 40. Time flies. Um, I got really emotional in the first service right off the bat when I came out here because I was just reflecting on life, really. Been in full-time ministry for 44 years. My wife and I just celebrated our 42nd wedding anniversary. Been through a lot of milestones, thank you. But I, I have to say that the last three and a half years, um, I've been on staff here at Project Church, like I said, after 44 years of being in full-time ministry, have been the most rewarding and fulfilling, the most amazing experience of my life. So I just wanna encourage you, it might take 44 years to figure it out, but you will, you will get there. And I do feel like Project Church Papa today. I really do. Like, you're my kids. 
you know, and these last three and a half years have been pretty weird, you know. A lot of stuff has gone on um, through pandemics, the building program. You know, we started the building program two months before the pandemic hit and the quarantine started, but we made it. We got through all that nonsense and here we are. God has been faithful and we've just seen God do great things through this church and through this ministry, but I do believe our greatest days are still ahead. And, and what we've been through maybe the last few years, um, I know in a lot of ways it's divided. It's, it's caused division. It's caused division in families. It's called, caused division politically and in a lot of other ways. Um, but I feel like for Project Church, it's just brought us closer. And it's, it's created a bond. Um, and it's great. We're going for it. Amen. So it's Father's Day. Congrats to all the dads in the room. Um, I'm also a grandfather of seven. Next month, number eight is expected. Grandbaby number eight. So thank you for that too. Now, what, you know what they say, right? Grandparents are the reward for not killing your own parent. I mean, grand, grandkids, grandparents. Grandkids are the reward for not killing your own kids. That's what they say. I, I like that. Because uh, parenting is hard. You know, it really is. Sometimes you do want to kill them, but fortunately, we didn't do that. No, I would love them all dearly. But we can't do Father's Day without dad jokes. So you ready? You know dad jokes, they're really dumb and corny, so bear with me. But here we go. One dad said, I'm so poor, I can't pay attention. One other one said, I'm having an out-of-money experience. There, there's a very easy way to return from a casino with a small fortune. Go there with a large one. Every day I get up and I look through the Forbes list of the richest in America, and if I'm not in there, I go to work. This is the last one, okay. Thanks for putting up with this. A father is someone who carries pictures in his wallet where his money used to be. <laughs> amen and amen to that. For rich or poor, that's the title of this message today. And of course, it's taken from the vows that you hear in a wedding when a couple stand before witnesses and they enter into this contractual and covenant relationship, they repeat these vows and they're very powerful if you really think about them and listen to them and commit to them. For richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. So this is part of the message series, this is week two world's worst sermon. That's kind of a weird title. So I'm supposed to get up here and deliver the world's worst sermon? No, we're gonna talk about the world's 
worst sermons and some of the theologies that are going around these days, one in particular we're going to talk about today is the prosperity gospel. It's very prominent. And I think that in many cases, the people that are proponents of the prosperity gospel, they mean well. I don't think they're bad people. I don't think they're evil people, but I think they have lost perspective and balance. So that's what we want to talk about today. There's a prosperity mentality in the church. There's also a poverty mentality. There's another camp that would suggest, you know, as, as followers of Jesus, it's, it's harder for a rich man to get to heaven than it is for a camel to go with the eye of the needle. So if you become successful, if you become wealthy, you're not going to get to heaven. So you should just live with the basics. You should just live a meager existence. You shouldn't strive after stuff and after things. That is another extreme perspective. The, the, the perspective that if you give, you will get is one extreme. And then the perspective that we should just live humbly, meekly is another perspective and they're extremes. What I believe that is that there is a balance. There's a middle ground that we can come to. And here's the problem with the prosperity mentality. It is that it's rooted in pride and self. It's all about me. And then the problem with the poverty mentality is it's rooted in false humility and a victim mentality. I believe there's a middle ground. I believe there's a balance to those camps. There's a balance to those perspectives. We should have a trust mentality. People of true faith, true followers of Jesus, a heart surrendered to him will say, I trust you for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. So part of that prosperity gospel is actually health and wealth. It's a promise that, oh, you'll always be healthy. You'll always have plenty. You'll have abundance. The reality is, most of your successful millionaires went through multiple bankruptcies along the way. They had ups, they had downs. Most of us in this room are gonna get sick. In fact, the truth of the matter is, this sounds kind of morbid, but none of us get out of here alive, right? One day, sickness and disease is gonna take a toll on this old vessel. Like right now, I'm wearing contact lenses. I'm not wearing contact lenses because my eyesight is getting better. Because, you know, I want to have the vision of an eagle. I'm wearing contacts because my vision is getting weaker. You know, in sports, there's an expression, bigger, faster, stronger. And that's the goal. You want to get bigger, faster, and stronger so that you can excel in competition. My motto is now just bigger. Forget the faster and stronger. It ain't happening anymore. I've abandoned that 
athletic uh, philosophy. In fact, the older I get, the better I used to be. That's, that's my mentality. Sorry, threw in another dad joke there. So you gotta ask yourself a question. Where do I put my trust? Where do you put your trust today? Is your trust in crypto? Crypto's getting creamed right now. Uh, sorry, all you people that own crypto in the room. But hang in there. Is, is your trust in the stock market? Yeah, not doing so hot there either. Um, I do have a retirement fund that's getting creamed right now, uh, you know, that's down significantly. And I told my wife today, I think I'm going to have to work for another 10 years before this retirement thing <laughs> works out at the rate we're going. Uh, but at least I can joke about it, right? Is, is your trust in your 401k, is your trust in your bank account, is your trust in interest rates? They're not doing so hot either. Let me tell you how my journey began. This, this, my journey in faith uh, as it pertains to finance and giving. I graduated from college in 1978. I know most of you in this room weren't even born yet. I get it. It was a long time ago. Jimmy Carter was president. I was born in 1956. Dwight Eisenhower was president when I was born. So that, in other words, I'm, I'm as old as dirt. But Jimmy Carter was president in 1978. And mortgage rates around that period of time, 1978 to 80, were 12 to 14%. So you think they're bad now. You think it was hard to get into a home you think it's hard getting home now. It was even tougher back then. At, the, at that time, I graduated from college in 1978. My dad had bought me a 1963 Chevy Impala when I graduated from high school in 1974. Is it up there? We have an image of a 1963 Chevy Impala. There it is. Isn't she a beauty? I loved that car. I wish I still had it. That is not the exact car, but it, I can't, I couldn't find a picture of it. You know, this was way before iPhones and the, and the cloud. So I, I couldn't, but that is the model. And I had a white one. It looked a lot like that one right there. Bought that car in 1974 for $600. I drove it all through college, put 50,000 miles on it, drove it for four years. And when I graduated in college, I came here to Sacramento to start my first ministry position in 1978 as a junior high pastor. And I was making $600 a month. I was living large, <laughs> right? Driving the 63 Chevy Impala and making $600 a month. I hit the big time. <laughs> uh, but that car, I, at the time, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, so, and I went to school in Orange County. So I drove that car 
basically from the Canadian border to the Mexican border, multiple times back and forth. That car had the biggest trunk you've ever seen. It's massive, okay? This big tail fin, massive trunk. I could put all my worldly possessions in the trunk of that car, in the back seat, and go back and forth to school every year. Put 50,000 miles on it in 1978, decided, you know, I need a little upgrade mistake because those cars now fully restored are worth like $25,000, $30,000, right? But I still did, did made out okay. Car that we bought for $600, I, I put 50,000 miles on it, drove it for four years and sold it right here in Sacramento for $800. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner, right? Right there. That, that turned out all right. But that was a great car. So, but I thought, you know, I got to get something. I'm a single, you know, I'm a player now, and I'm a catch maybe, you know, and I got to like, I got to have a chick magnet car, you know, type of thing. Starting to think about my future, you know, uh, finding a spouse and stuff like that. And uh, so I upgraded to a 1974 Chevy Camaro. Oh, yeah. There it is. That, again, is not the car, exact car, same car, but that's the model, okay? So it was kind of, you know, a little flashy, a little sporty, pretty bad on gas mileage, but, you know, gas back then was <laughs> a dollar a gallon probably. So the car... It, it worked out for me. Bought the car in 78. By 1980, I had found a spouse and got married. All because of the car. No. <laughs> car really, obviously, had nothing to do with it. The Lord had a lot to do with it. And then we, we started a family fairly quickly. Within a year and a half, a year and a half we got married, we had Pastor Caleb was our firstborn. We had two boys and two girls. So we had started our life together and now our family's growing and we're still in this 74 Chevy Camaro. Not really a family car. You know what I'm saying? So truth of the matter is that was the last sports car I ever owned right there. So I got to tell you what happened to that sports car. So shortly after we got married, we started, started a family, started having kids. We did get a second car. My, mom, my wife was a stay-at-home mom at the time. I don't know how we did that, living on just a youth pastor's salary, but we did it. Uh, God provides. And we got a second car, but the church I was serving on at the time was going through some real growth, going through expansion. They had decided to relocate, build new facilities, and if you don't know, the church I'm talking about is Capital Christian Center out here on Highway 50 at Bradshaw. I was a youth pastor on staff there, and we had a capital campaign. You probably know what those are. We had one here. When we were getting ready to purchase this building, we had to raise $600,000 cash. And then we had to build the building and get financing to do all the construction, not build it, but finish it out. 
Um, it was a shell, so we had to build this all out. So we, we had a capital campaign that we called Believe. Remember that? Sure you do. So anyway, 42 years ago or so, we were having a capital campaign, Capital Christian Center, and living on a youth pastor's salary, uh, living in a home we purchased that had a 14% interest rate, and uh, there wasn't a lot of leftover, let's say, at the end of the week or the end of the month, but we felt compelled. We need to do our part. We need to do something sacrificial. We need to commit to the campaign. So we prayed about it, felt impressed to, of, with a figure. This is what we're gonna give, having no idea where we'd get the money to commit and fulfill the commitment to that obligation, but we made the commitment. So a little time went by and we're wondering, you know, how's God gonna provide for this commitment we made? Because uh, we don't have it. And of course, he spoke to me and gave me an idea. And I wrestled with the idea, but did surrender. And the idea was to sell the Chevy Camaro. It was paid for now. Um, it was a pretty nice car. We could get a decent price for it. And pretty much what that car sold for would fulfill and meet our obli obligation to that capital campaign. So we did that. We sacrificed. Now we're down to one car. I'm working and my wife's at home with a growing family. And she really didn't want us to go down to just one car because now she's kind of stuck at home for a season. And we did sacrifice for a season until the Lord provided us with, with a second car again. But selling that car began my season of life as a minivan owner. <laughs> there is nothing sexy and glamorous about driving a minivan. You know what I'm saying? But I can look back on that moment and I can see how God used that moment in my life to stretch me, to increase my faith, and I have seen his faithfulness over the years, now I'm not wealthy, not even close, but what I've seen is his provision in many, many other ways. The blessings of a beautiful family, the blessings of health, the blessing of great friends, the blessing of just walking in relationship with him and knowing his goodness and his provision, it started way back over 40 years ago. And it even started prior to that because I'd always been taught and practiced giving and tithing in my life. That's something that stuck with me. You know, it's, it's interesting. 
Uh, one of the largest givers in this ministry recently, and I can say this because they were in the first service. <laughs> They're not here right now. I won't, of course, tell you who they are, but told me recently the first thing they do every time they get paid is they give to ministry. And it's the most enjoyable expression that they make with their resources. It's a priority and it's full of joy and it's full of the expression of what God has done in their lives and the blessing that he has provided. And what they're saying is the first fruits, they're going back to you. Uh, we're, we're, uh, I'm still in the introduction. We got to get going here. Again, looking back on that season of life, this was the beginning to understand what it is to surrender to the Savior, okay? Because, you know, up until that point, you know, when you're going, you're single, going to college, it's just you. You don't got to worry about anything else. You don't worry about anybody else. But then you start a family and all of a sudden, wow, this is serious stuff. I can't be messing around driving a 1974 Chevy Camaro again. It's minivan life for me going forward. But that's when I began to really understand what it is to surrender to my Savior We need to have that trust mentality. So, what does a trust mentality look like? Trust makes requests, not demands. And there's a big difference. You know, I think the, the prosperity, wealth and health gospel it is one of making demands. It is one of looking at God as your genie in a bottle. You rub the bottle, he grants you your every wish. But I believe trust makes requests, not, not demands. Let's look at Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. There it is. This is just, this is just full of truth, this verse right here. First of all, what's it say? Don't be anxious. Don't worry. Now, over the last few years, there's been a lot of reasons to be anxious, to worry, to worry about your job, to worry about your health. But I trust that as we went through that season, you experienced what I experienced, and that was peace. I wasn't anxious about it. Concerned, yes. Uncertainty, yes. But still, trusting don't be anxious about, you know, some things. You, 
you know, there are some things it's okay to be anxious about. No, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with, here's another key, thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That's powerful stuff right there. Are you anxious about the stock market? Are you anxious about inflation? Are you anxious about gas prices? It's hard. It's hard not to be. It's affecting all of us. There's no question about it. Psalm 24, one says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. That's what we're talking about. That's trust. Some would suggest that we can manifest our de destiny or wealth. That's become a very popular, popular concept. You hear a lot of people talking about it. You know, speak it into existence. Now, don't get me wrong. Being positive, that's an awesome thing. Being optimistic, we should be optimistic. We should be anxious about nothing. So when we're anxious about nothing, what does that mean? It means we're optimistic. We have a positive view of life in our future. But some would suggest we can just manifest it, speak it into existence. Here's the problem. Creator God is the only one I know who can speak things into existence. And you ain't him. Think about it. He created it all, and how did he do it? He spoke it into existence. God is not our genie in a bottle. We can't make demands. We can't just speak things into existence. We can make requests. And you know, God always answers prayer. You've heard this before. He either says yes, no, or wait. That isn't always the answer we're looking for, is it? But have you ever heard the expression, be careful what you pray for? Yeah, because sometimes we think we know, don't we? We think we know what we need. We think we know what we want. And those aren't the things that God has for us. Those aren't his plans for our lives. So we need to make requests. Trust makes requests, not demands. Trust is a matter of the heart. Matthew 9, or Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, here it is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So trust is a matter of the heart. The earth is the Lord's. And everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Psalm 24, 1. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, said this. Every faculty you have, your power of thinking or of moving your limbs from moment to moment is given you by God. If you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to service, to his service, you could not give him anything that was not, in a sense, his already. Our lives are on loan from God. 
Here's the beautiful thing. Giving is liberating. It's an act of surrendering this very sacred of our, part of our lives to our Heavenly Father and to our Savior. It's an act of surrender. It's an act of submitting your ideas, your plans to him and his plans for your life. Hebrews 13.5 says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Trust should breed contentment. What is contentment? The state of being satisfied. That's a challenge for each and every one of us. In our culture, we always want more, don't we? We want the nicer car. We want the bigger house. We want the bigger bank account. We want the promotion. There's nothing wrong with those things until they become our God. Until they take the place of where God should be on the throne of our heart. And those things become the things that we love. After 44 years in ministry, I haven't accumulated great wealth, but I've had a lifetime of experiences. Again, like I mentioned, one of the most enjoyable experiences of my life has been the last three and a half years here at Project Church. But one thing I have been able to do as part of the ministry is go on some missions trips. Been able to travel a little bit. And I've been able to go to some of the poorest nations in the world. I've been to remote parts of Mexico. I've been to the Dominican Republic. I've been to Africa. I've been to the slums of Africa in the Nairobi area. I've been to the northeast corner of Africa near the Ghana border in the bush. I mean, out in the middle of the bush. We're talking no comforts, no creature comforts, no electricity, no running water. I've been in some of these places and been the, able to see the church in some of these remote places where they literally have nothing. They're living hand to mouth. They're living day by day. They're eking out an existence, barely surviving in many cases, where the life expectancy is much lower than it is here. And you know what I've observed? I have met with and worshiped with and served with some of the most joyful, happy, contented people you'll ever meet. When they gather in church and worship, they don't have LED screens. <laughs> they don't have sound systems. They don't have spotlights and they don't have fog machines. They don't have any of that. But they blow 
the roof off the place in worship. They jump, they celebrate, and you're like, what is happening? They put us to shame. You know, in this country where we have so much, we have no idea how the rest of the world lives. You know, we are by far and away the exception. By far and away the exception. What we have and the blessings that we experience in this country. Why do you think everybody want to comes, wants to come here? John, 3 John 1 verse 2 says, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Ooh, that'll preach. You know that a whole lot of what happens in your life financially and health-wise is connected to your soul? and how healthy your soul life is, how healthy, healthy your relationship is with your heavenly Father. You know, it's in surrendering to Him that we can trust. It's surrendering in Him that we no longer have to be anxious. We can surrender to Him and commit it all to Him, knowing He's got it. He's got us. It's all good. At the end of your life, or at the end of their life, you rarely hear someone say, oh, I wish I hadn't given so much. Oh, I wish I hadn't served so much. Oh, I wish I hadn't loved so much. No, that's not what you hear, is it? You hear the opposite. I could have given more. I could have served more. I could have loved harder than I did. We have the idea that we are, that we can dedicate our gifts to God. However, you cannot dedicate what is not yours. Your gifts aren't even yours. There is actually only one thing you can dedicate to God, and that is your right to yourself. If you will give God your right to yourself, he will make a holy experiment out of you. And his experiments always succeed. So what do you say, church? Are you ready to surrender? Are you ready to trust? Are you ready to lay it all down and allow him to be your Lord and your Savior and to sit on the throne of your heart? It's in doing that that we become the people that God created us to be. And it's the only way. It's in surrendering to Him. That's the only way that we can be fulfilled. It's in surrendering to Him. It's the only way we can ever be content and be satisfied. And satisfied. It's, it's in surrendering to Him. So I'm going to challenge you in this moment to do it. Lay down your ambitions, lay down your goals, lay down your wants, your desires, lay it at his feet and allow him to become the Lord of your life. So let's bow our heads. Now, maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've never surrendered 
your life to the Lord. There may be people in this room that are saying, I'm really not a believer, I'm not a follower of Christ. We're gonna give that opportunity right now. And you're saying, I need to do that. I need to give it up. I need to allow him into my heart and into my life to be the Lord. If that is you, I'm just ask you to raise your hand anywhere in this room you wanna say, that's me, yes, there's a hand in the back. Anybody else? I'm surrendering my life to Jesus. Thank you for raising your hand. Wanna make one more appeal, men in this room. We need men in this culture more than ever to f before to stand up and be strong and lead by example and lead in compassion and lead in love. So I wanna encourage you, this is not a time to be passive. This is a time to walk into what God has for you as a man and as a leader. No matter where you find, what situation, maybe you're not a father, but in whatever place of influence you have, we need to be people that reflect Jesus. So I want to challenge you. I need to, if you're that man, you need to walk in greater strength, greater courage. Just raise your hand right now in this room and we're going to pray. A lot of hands going up. All right. Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, we just pause right now. We thank you for these hands that have been raised to accept you as Lord and Savior. Come into our hearts right now is our prayer, Lord Jesus, and dwell there. Inhabit our lives, we pray. Take control, we surrender to you. And for all the men in this room, Lord, I pray that you would raise up mighty men of God, mighty men of valor, that'll live for you and serve you and have a great impact in our culture. We commit this to you and we commit ourselves to you this day and we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Project Church Podcast. We pray and hope that this message encouraged you built you up and gave you life. We want to ask that you would invest right now in what God is doing here in downtown Sacramento. We've just recently moved in to our all new building in the waterfront, Old Sacramento District. We want to ask you, if you'd like to give, you can go to projectchurch.com forward slash give to invest. Let's see all that God can do through us.